Our dear Father God, we uh, pray as uh, Elder Vincent speaks to us, deliver your message, um, that you will fill us with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may live a life uh, worthy of your calling. We ask of you, God, as um, we embark on this series that you, um, Holy Spirit, will reveal uh, to us we want to go away different, not the same. And having after reviewed that, I asked that you will give us uh, the courage and the strength uh, to be transformed. We pray for Elder Vincent. You will anoint him today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. As Paul has mentioned, we are starting a new series called Counterfeit Gods. Uh, it's a book by Tim Keller. And much of my material today uh, is taken from this book. But I thought I would just show you the roadmap for the next few weeks as we do this series, uh, the topics we're going to talk about. Today, we're going to talk about all you ever wanted. And um, the following weeks, uh, these are the topics regarding uh, this series. Love is not all you need. Money changes everything. Seduction of success, the power and the glory. So as Paul has uh, encouraged you, get the book. I got five from SKS Bookshop uh, last weekend. Uh, not last weekend, on Friday. And I think they still have stock. It's, it's good to be able to follow this series uh, by also reading the book. But I want to ask um, maybe us to think through a little bit why, why this series? Why this series called Counterfeit Gods? Uh, the old word for it is idolatry. We're just, we're just modernizing the word so that you can relate. Counterfeit gods is, is another word for idolatry. Um, my, my own take on this is that a church or a Christian becomes lethargic when his allegiance to God, when his loyalty to God is divided. You know, the book of James in the Bible, James tells us, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And when the Bible uses the word purify, it means refine. In modern day, it means focus. It does not mean, uh, uh, it, it doesn't just mean concentrating the solution, but it means focus, single-minded focus. So it says, James tells us, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I want to suggest to you that we become double-minded or triple-minded or quadruple-minded when there are perceived substitutes to God in our lives, what we call counterfeit gods. Because they can be, at the very least, they can be deadly distractions. Last year, I was uh, driving along a very familiar road back from my office just um, just uh, opposite Marina Bay Sands. No, I, I don't work in Marina Bay Sands, right? I work near Marina Bay Sands, just to clarify. And uh, it was a very familiar road that I travel very often. And it was light traffic, 
etc. And um, I had my phone next to me, and then a WhatsApp came in. I just looked at the WhatsApp, and I looked up. The next moment, very quickly in front of me appeared the boot of a blue BMW 6 Series. And when I jammed my brake, uh, it was just too late. I plowed into the hole of his boot. Uh, my Japanese car obviously didn't survive. Uh, the BMW MSA was quite sturdy. Uh, it looked okay to me. But um, the insurance company paid out a lot for that damage. A deadly distraction. You know, when the calling is high, when the focus is required, such as for driving, when the stakes are high, then a distraction can be very deadly. The calling of God on our lives is a very high one. It is one that the Bible tells us need our single-minded focus. And that's why we're doing this series. Because if we allow distractions into our lives, we may plow ourselves, our lives, into a wall if we are not careful. So this series, we want to identify and dismantle the counterfeit gods in our lives. We want to blow the cover and tear down idols and strongholds that we may or may not know exist in our lives. We want to write, make right our allegiance back to the one true Jehovah God who deserves all our praise, who deserves our very lives. You know, a dollar note, you have a dollar note in your wallets possibly, and a dollar note, besides a, mean of exchange, a means of exchange, is a store of value. If, you, if you've gone to school and studied about uh, economics before, a dollar note is a store of value. But if it is counterfeit, it only pretends to have value. A counterfeit note looks the part, it feels the part, but when you finally go to the bank to cash it in, you discover the truth. It is worthless. Appearances notwithstanding, you will not get value for that counterfeit note. It is not so tragic if it is a counterfeit $1 note or if it is a $10 note, it is not tragic when the value and the cost is low. But when the value and the cost at stake is high, it can be devastating. And in the case of counterfeit gods to which we devote our lives, the cost is very high. To spend your whole life amassing and building a house of cards is a very scary thought. You know what a house of cards is, right? It is a very unstable structure. And as I've said from this pulpit quite a few times, to spend a whole life climbing a ladder, sacrificing family, health, time along the way, climbing that ladder to only discover it is leaning against the wrong building, is a massive tragedy. It is too high a cost to pay. And that's why 
we want to identify, we want to dismantle, we want to blow the cover of the counterfeit God so that the calling of God on our lives can come through and we will not suffer these deadly distractions that the evil one seeks to distract us with. The Bible tells us no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Then Jesus throws in the clincher at the end. You cannot serve God and money. Many of us actually think we can. But Jesus tells us the calling of both God and money is so high, it will be so high in your life that you will always have what we call a conflict of interest. If you decide to serve God and money in your life, there will always be multiple fork roads in front of you that you have to make a call and say, I'll be loyal to this one, I'll walk this one, or I'll be loyal to that one. And so Jesus advises us, get it straight in your mind from day one. You can't serve two masters. You might as well get used to that thought. It is a conflict of interest. So it's about allegiance. This series, we want to talk about the allegiance of your heart. Is it to God or is it to other gods with a small g? It is about purifying our hearts, like I mentioned, focusing, getting our focus back, single-heartedness, purifying, concentrating, reversing the dilution of our hearts and our devotion to God that the world has a habit of doing, diluting our devotion to God. We want to thicken, we want to concentrate, we want to purify our hearts. This series is about ensuring that when it comes to the crunch, you are on the correct side because the cost of being on the wrong side is just too high to bear. So what is a counterfeit God? Simply put, I would define it as that which has mastery over us. That which is master over us. It usurps God's position in our lives. It substitutes God in our lives. Counterfeit gods divide our hearts and steal our allegiance. Now, just now we talked about deadly distraction, like my car accident. But while we... But, but, While distractions can be deadly, counterfeit gods go further than merely distracting. Dividing our hearts is more insidious and more devastating than a mere distraction. If during this sermon now, a telephone rings such that you are distracted, it's no big deal because most of you, after you take that call, would write to your course again and hopefully come back to the sermon once you've hung up. The same for a child crying at the back. If a child cries at the back now, it is a distraction, but it's not lethal. It wouldn't kill you. So we're not talking about mere distractions when we discuss counterfeit gods. We are talking about an idol, an object of desire that demands. It does not merely distract 
it demands. An idol that continually forces you to choose between God and it. You know, I grew up in a... I was born into a Taoist uh, family. So my, fa- my, my, my parents, my family uh, worshipped... Uh, uh, idols, um, Chinese idols. Um, famous ones were Guan Yin. I think some of you can relate. Goddess of mercy. We had a door god. We had a kitchen god. Uh, we had the goddess of mercy, which was quite a big deal to my mom. And we have, um, I can't find an English name for it, Tua Pei Kong. Uh, it's, uh, it's a big guy. And um, stuff like that. Uh, and uh, as a kid, I was, uh, it, was, it was very much a part of my identity. I mean, this, this worshipping of idols. I mean, it, it even felt that it was a very Chinese thing to do. It was the right thing to do. But if I can sum up what we did that time, why did we uh, worship idols and do these things? And when exams came, uh, mom, uh, my brother is here, he probably can relate as well. Uh, mom always made us drink these uh, amulets. Uh, these pieces of paper that uh, a medium has written some stuff on and then she'll burn it and then put the ash into the water and I'll drink it. Uh, well, we have a lot of ash in our bodies. But the Lord has exchanged our ash for beauty, right? Uh, and that, that, was, that was my experience as uh, in that sense uh, bowing before these gods. And if I may sum it up, this was what mom looked for or mom told us to look for. We worship these idols because we want peace. Ping An in Chinese, we want peace. We want protection. That's why the door god and the kitchen god, the kitchen god is supposed to help you to avoid kitchen disasters. Um, the door god is supposed to stop bad things from coming in. So peace, protection, and the exam thing, the amulet, was supposedly prosperity. Uh, and that, that was... That, that, I believe, until today, uh, why people chase after counterfeit gods. Peace, prosperity, and protection. Counterfeit gods are not unattractive things. They are very attractive things. They offer us security and protection. They become our fortress. It is our security. And therefore, we willingly make them master over us. So while we may scoff at our forefathers who carved idols out of wood and stone, we call them primeval, we call them superstitious, and we believe that we have moved on in this scientific age, I am not so sure. I travel for my work, and every time I must say, as I approach the airport, uh, I usually have a, a... I won't call it a, a panic attack. or I just have this anxiety to just recheck that I brought my passport. I don't know how many of you are like that. Uh, there's always that thing because sometimes there are a few bags and you always check, is there a passport? Why, why the passport? The passport is key, right? It is your, your right to smooth passage into a country and your passport gets you back. And I believe many of us also see many of the things today that we're pursuing as passports to success. We want a smooth passage to success. 
And while true that we do not bow down to wood or stone and don't sacrifice at temple shrines anymore, it may not be inaccurate to say that for some of us, myself included, in our pursuit of these passports to success or these perceived passports to success, our offices, my office, may have become the shrine. The shrine is an altar, by the way on which I offer my sacrifice of my health, my family, my relationship, in order to obtain the security I seek to get ahead, to get that promotion, to get that deal, to get the possessions, the money, to get the adulation and the praise of men. These are the fortresses of security that we continue to run after today. We want peace, we want protection, we want prosperity, we want a passport to success. So for some of us, the offices may be a shrine. It may be a counterfeit God. The office is just a physical shrine. It could be our career, which is behind it. For others, it may be PSLE, um, primary school leaving examination or integrated program, or international baccalaureate, I hope I pronounced it correctly, or forms of higher education. It, have, it may also have become the shrine on which we offer ourselves the lives of our children so that we supposedly secure their passport to success and hopefully they support us in our old age. For some of us, it could be our spouse, our children, our loved ones may have, have, may have become the idols to which we bow and whom we desire to please at all costs. Pleasure is another popular shrine. I'm, I'm going to speak at a second service later. And I, when I look at the Facebook of uh, people, uh, there's a lot of uh, pleasure seeking going on at least from the restaurants that they go to, and uh, every, every week got holiday or something. Uh, and it's amazing. I'm not saying anything of this, any, any of this is wrong. Later we'll talk a bit more about it. But just, I'm just saying pleasure is another popular shrine that many willingly sacrifice at and bow down to and possibly even make it their life aim to have pleasure. By now, you would have noted that not all idols or counterfeit gods, in fact, none of those I mentioned, are morally wrong things. They are not like alcoholism or drugs or pornography. Much as much as these can become idols in your life, I classify these more as addictions. These are bondages. But idols are, are things that we willingly pursue after. We bow down to. But as I mentioned, I also want to caveat that I'm not saying that work is bad, school is bad, PSLE is bad, IB schools are horrible, and etc. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they have the potential to become a counterfeit God because they consume a lot of us. We will come back later to talk about how a good thing like this can become a counterfeit God, a substitute for God. But for now, I want, to leave, I want to leave you with this thought. Don't be so quick to think that there, is no, that, that, that there is no counterfeit God 
in your life or in this modern day and age. Now let's go on to what God says in His Word, what I call first principles. This is the first of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Command number one. Anybody knows? You shall have no other gods before me. Command number two. Almost related. Actually, 1A and 1B. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So from the very beginning, God saw it coming. This was, this was thousands of years ago when, when, when the Jewish nation was just starting to be formed. And God saw it coming. The issue of counterfeit gods that will steal our hearts. You see, God does not have commands to tell you when you are hungry, go and eat. Then there's no command to tell you when you are thirsty, go and drink. There is no command to tell you when you're sleepy, when you're tired, go and sleep. These are natural things that come to us that, that we will not struggle with. But God issues commands when He can see the potholes ahead of us. And He saw it very necessary when He gave us His first of the Ten Commandments, the first one, don't let another usurp my place in your life. Because He knows one day we will face tremendous peer pressure to worship the gods that other people worship. Because we don't want to stick out from the crowd. Because we want to be like others. Because the offer of security and protection will be so enticing. The second command there, it suggests that we will craft things out of the created things to bow down to because we like to see and we like to touch. But God says don't. Why not? Because the first part of the verse says, because I am your peace. I am your protector. I am your portion and your prosperity. I am the one who brought you out of slavery from Egypt, from your Egypt. Don't, because I am a jealous God. It is an intensely intimate relationship that God desires with us, and He will not share us with another. Let's be honest. Do you really expect a casual acquaintance to sacrifice His Son for you? While some may think that God is forcing Himself on us, why is He like fatal attraction like that? Uh, jealous, uh, always want me, all for Himself, very scary. Um, really, let, let's, let's put things in reverse. How many of you would be surprised at a husband hitting the roof if he was told to share his wife? You say that, hey, don't be like that, why are you fatal attraction? We're just asking you to share your wife. Or how many wives would not object if we told, that, we told her to share her husband with another? Or for that matter, to share your children with someone else. Let someone else call. Let's, let your children call someone else dad as well. 135, they call them dad. 246, they call you. 7, everybody gets called dad. Right? Does that work? 
Um, and in my own example, if you ask me how many people would I sacrifice my kids for, um, in my life I probably can, I probably, let, let's say, let's say if it was a very big sacrifice, let's say my kid has a good kidney and I want him to donate, and somebody asked me to donate my kid's kidney to someone else, uh, I wouldn't do it lightly. When God sacrificed His Son for us, it was not a casual relationship. He was looking to redeem. It was a family, spousal relationship that He was looking to redeem. So we need to keep that in mind. God says, return to me. I'm your deliverer, your protector, your fortress, and your father. Now let's see why men stray from these first principles. Forgetting first principles. This is from the New Testament. Claiming to be wise, men became fools and exchanged the glory of God for images resembling mortal men and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the created rather than the Creator. So this is more recent. This is from the book of Romans. I half suspect men choose counterfeit gods because it is about being able to see and touch. It is about being having a God that is tangible, having a God that I can relate to with my senses. The need to see and touch. Because the Bible tells us, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, divine nature, are clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. But although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, but they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Now today, if you go to McDonald's, they always ask you, want to upsize. You order anything, they ask you, want to upsize. But in this case, I suspect men chose counterfeit gods because they want to downsize. They want to downsize God. They want to downsize their God to someone who is a lot more manageable, a lot more tangible, a lot more controllable, and a lot more visible. So this innate desire in us to craft a God that we can worship rather than deal with the God with a capital G, the Bible tells us arises out of our claim to be wise. That there are more worthy causes to sacrifice our lives for these counterfeit gods. It's either because we're unable to fully grasp with our finite minds the bigness of God, or we don't like what we see. The Bible says, in the futility of our thinking, we went for other gods. In claiming to be wise, we went for other gods. And I, I can only conjecture that it is because we want something a lot more tangible. Something that we can relate to, like money, like power, like position. But God says, don't go after false gods. But we do, because we claim to be wise. 
I want to end with the story of Abraham to put some flesh to what we have been talking about. Earlier on, we talked about good things, education, career, money, etc., relationships. How does a good thing become a counterfeit God? When do we know that we have crossed the line? When has something good become an idol in our lives? You know, Abraham was made the promise of a son implicitly when he was 75 years old. When did he receive his son? Anybody knows? 100. So it was a 25-year wait. How many of you have waited 25 years for anything? Trust me that when a couple a couple that is uh, anticipate, uh, that is longing for a child. Trust me that when they have waited 25 years and the child finally comes, that son, that child, will be highly prized. Believe me or not. Right? The longer we wait for something, the more we prize it. So if each passing year, of that 25 years, 75 years, 75. okay, last time 75 is very young, huh? uh, it's because of the age difference, but uh, there's a distraction, sorry. But with each passing year, 76, 77, 78, the cost of waiting added to the price, the value of that treasured son. And in that culture, the son for Abraham, this was the ultimate promotion, this is the ultimate price, right? nothing else. Abraham was had it all already. This, this is it. But he have a very big uh, uh, blemish CV on his resume. No son. It's a big deal. For some of us today, uh, it may not be such a big deal. But for, for that culture at that time, big deal. Blemish on his resume. Black mark. So wait 25 years for that black mark to be erased. This is his passport to security and to ultimate success. Isaac was evidence of success and Abraham's assurance of a continued legacy. And then this happens. Take your son, God tells him. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. A lot of descriptions. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We can make an educated guess that God did this because, not because he had nothing better to do, not because he wanted to be a sadist. I, I make an educated guess, and, and, and this is from the book as well, I think it's a decent guess, that God did this because Isaac may have over the years become a counterfeit God to Abraham. The roots of idolatry could have started growing and gripping Abraham's heart and starting to divide it, divide it, divide it. Abraham's source of security, his source of assuredness, his source of joy, his identity may increasingly have been redirected away from God and toward God's gift to him, Isaac. The tragedy of idolatry is we take the created things, we worship the created things that the Creator 
has given to us. But you know, as long as Abraham never had to choose between his son and obedience to God, he could not see that his love was become idolatrous. Agree or not? If he never had to choose. Allegiance, uh, let me tell you. All of us can stand up and sing Majula Singapura. But allegiance is not tested in a time of peace, correct? Allegiance is revealed in a time of war. Singing Majula Singapura is easy. Staying behind when there's a war is a revelation of your allegiance or your lack thereof if you're on the first plane out. So, similarly for us today, the roots of idolatry could have started growing and gripping yours and my heart, dividing it. Our source of security our assuredness, our source of joy and identity may increasingly have been redirected away from God who gave us all these things, paradoxically, and towards God's gift to us. It could be a career. It could be a long-awaited child. It could be good health. It could be family, possessions, achievements, your resume. And in peacetime like this, we will never know the difference. Allegiance is not tested, like I said, in a time of peace. Unfortunately, I get parking fines quite often in my life. You can tell by now that I'm, I'm terrible on the road. Lah. I'm either banging into BMW or I'm getting parking fine. Uh, and I get, I get parking fines quite often. You know, I will never compromise my integrity yeah? For a parking coupon issue, meaning I, I, let's, say, let's say I got a fine and I go and lie my way through that, that it was because I was sick or I stomach ache or whatever so that I can save that $30 or the $50. I will never compromise my integrity for that. I know some people uh, that I know do that, but I find, oh, I, I won't do that. But the test comes when I have to choose between what God says about integrity and possibly lying to help my career advance. Ah, then that's different from parking coupon fine already. That's a very big deal. That if everybody around me is lying to get ahead and they're getting their promotions or they're getting their deals, then can I be a bit more economical with the truth or not? Can I tell a not-so-harmful lie to get ahead? Those are the times when my allegiance is tested. Or cutting some corners regarding obedience to God so that I can get my kid ahead. Doing some things that I know displeases God so I can help my kid get ahead. Those I, I would call the Genesis 22 two times for us when God tells you, will you put these things on the altar? Are you willing to suffer a possible retreat from your career if it compromises your integrity or things that I tell you to do? Are you willing to take that hit or the perceived hit to your child's prospect if you turn away from the ways of the world and go God's way. 
your kid loses out. Those are the Genesis 22-2 moments. When the fork road comes and allegiance is tested, God says, choose to follow me. Isaac's on the altar. What is the Isaac that we need to put on the altar to God today? But how to trust? How to trust that uh, yeah, if I don't tell this, if I don't do this, if I don't cut corners, my poor kid, my poor career, I will suffer. It's so unfair. How to trust? You know the story of Abraham and Isaac had a good ending. You know, right? Because insofar as the sacrifice was concerned, just as Abraham was about to sacrifice and kill his son, God says, stop. Stop. Enough. Now I know you fear me. And if I may add to that verse, I believe what God says is, now we have killed the idol in your life. So enough. The idea was to kill the idol in your life. The counterfeit God that was gripping you. So the story of Abraham and Isaac had a good ending. The kid didn't die. We all love that. I just asked the musicians to come up. So it was a good ending. Abraham, that day, walked down Mount Moriah with his son, a free man, knowing that come what may, Isaac or no Isaac, God is his security and very great reward. But you know, many years later, friends, another father walked up a hill called Calvary with his son. This one, humanly speaking, did not have a good ending. The son was crucified. The son was sacrificed. And before he died, he cried a very disturbing cry. My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? It did not seem a good ending at the moment. But you and I know, it was the best ever ending for you and I today. The son, that son, was forsaken to take on the penalty that was ours. Jesus died that we might live. So you ask me how to trust. How to trust. Giving up the ways of the world, giving up the counterfeit gods, how to trust. I tell you today, by looking at the Father who walked up the hill of Calvary with his son. By looking at the cross where Jesus died, we can say to our God, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Today we ask ourselves, how to sacrifice our Isaacs on the altar. I propose to you by looking at the Father's sacrifice on the cross of His Son. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Because you don't need them. 
because God is your security and very great reward. Why don't we rise? As the musicians play, I want to, I want us to take a few moments to consider, to tell the Holy Spirit to reveal. Are there any Isaacs in our lives? Not Isaac in a bad way. Are there any, any counterfeit gods in our lives that we need to lay on the altar today? And I want to encourage you, it's not just today, for the next five weeks. Be, be tender in your heart to want to come to the altar to deal with. To say, God, my hands are open. You are my security. You are my very great reward. I want to deal with the idols in my life. I want to sacrifice them to you. Every fork road I come to where I need to prove my allegiance to you, I will choose your way. If that is you today, as we worship, I want you to come forward. Seal that with God here at the altar. We don't have to go to Mount Moriah. This can be Mount Moriah. Telling God enough. Enough of all these anxieties I have in my life. Enough. God, you are my security, my very great reward. Today, I choose you. Today, I choose your ways. Let's just get Shumei to lead us. If that resonates with you, come forward. And I'll let you pray and engage with God first before we pray with you. Is that okay? Let's sing God will make a way. God will make a way Where there seems to be no way He works in ways we cannot see He will make a way for me He will be my guide Hold me closely to His side With love and strength for a rich new day He will make a way you as the musicians as we sing this song once or twice more as the Holy Spirit speaks to you come forward an opportunity for us to lay down the counterfeit gods that may have started to take root in our lives the struggles we have come forward God wants to set you free so just open up the altar I want to encourage you Come forward as we sing this song again.
The altar will still be open, but I will close you all in prayer. If you need to leave, leave quietly as we continue to minister to those who have responded. Let's pray together. Father God, we declare today once again that you are our security. You are our very great reward. Lord Jesus, we thank you for taking that lonely road up Calvary. Father, it blows our mind we will never fully understand the extent of your love for us. Lord, let us overflow with gratefulness to you, Lord. Let us have that ballast, that reserve of faith inside us to help us choose your ways, not the things we see around us. Father, protect us from setting up shrines like the world. Because, Lord, we want to be wise in our own eyes. But, Father, I pray you will keep us as we journey together, Lord, as a church, you will bring us back to allegiance, 100% allegiance to you, Lord. So for those of us who continue to struggle in some of these things, Lord, I pray for revelation. I pray for your guidance. I pray for your gentle dealing. Because, Lord, we know it is not the possessions in our lives that you want. It is us that you want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.